The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V, the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Tonight, due to popular demand, we will be discussing what Catholics believe about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Father, we've received quite a few questions, um, quite a few requests uh, to, to discuss this topic of Jehovah's Witnesses, hmm. and it seems... If I could sum up what a lot of the questions are, they, they deal with the fact of Catholics struggling to find responses to all of these, these wild claims made by Jehovah's Witnesses. Just, just a few examples, um, there's only a, a small number, 144,000 individuals that will be saved. Uh, at the end of the world, the, the earth will be transformed into some kind of paradise and man will live in this heaven on earth uh, for, for all of time. And it just seems that there's so many uh, absolutely fantastical claims like this that seem to have no basis in reason or logic or scripture. And it seems that many Catholics struggle to find a reasonable response to these unreasonable uh, claims made by Jehovah's Witnesses. And it would appear, Father, that the religion of these Jehovah's Witnesses is nothing more than the logical uh, result of Protestantism, which says every man for himself, private interpretation of the scriptures, and that's what we have here is private interpretations. And so all of these claims that they make are so far-fetched and wild because of their very twisted private interpretations of scripture. So what is the proper way for a Catholic to, to respond to all of these wild claims made by Jehovah's Witnesses? To all of them. <clears throat> to all of them. Is, is there a way? Should this they be a long program. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I understand that the fundamental problem is, as you say, uh, heresy, of course, and, uh, you know, following from the Protestant era of uh, individual interpretation of the Scripture, everybody interprets it for himself, mm -hmm. the, 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 the spirit, as they like to call it, right. uh, inspires everyone to know in his heart what is the true interpretation for himself. Yep. And they have no sense of uh, the, the fact that God uh, is the spirit of truth and cannot contradict himself. Mm -hmm. So they already lay the groundwork for individuals interpreting scriptures to, for themselves, even though they arrive at different conclusions and have entirely contrary or contradictory interpretations. <clears throat> it's got to be the work of the, of the spirit. you know. And of course, that's blasphemy <clears throat> because it accuses God of a supreme truth of contradicting himself. It's basically saying there is... There is error in God. <clears throat> it is saying that God can deceive or that he can be deceived. You know? And, uh, of course, we know that that is blasphemous. The, I understand that the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, adhere to what is called the New World Translation of the Sacred Scriptures. And uh, that is a fanciful translation that... There's no real authority that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ behind that translation. It's just the work of man, purely the work of man. Um, and unfortunately, again, 
the reason which motivates these new translations is because somebody's pushing heresies. Somebody's pushing his own, his own, uh, in the Greek sense of the word, idiotic, meaning, you know, personal interpretation of what he thinks the scriptures really mean. And um, so, you know, the trouble is, if, if, if you deal with somebody who's he's got his own personal translation of the scriptures to reflect the errors that he, he already adheres to, <clears throat> then, you know, you have to start by making him understand that um, his baseline, the starting, the principles where he's starting, his arguments, is, is erroneous. He's starting with error, and he's trying to develop a logical case from error. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, you're going to wind up in the wrong place. You can't, you can't wind up, uh, you know, in the truth if you start with an error as your fundamental principles. Right. So, <clears throat> again, basing themselves on this Protestant idea that, well, we'll just uh, kind of contrive a translation of sacred scripture that says what we want to say, mm-hmm. right? that says that we interpret it to mean, uh, you're going to wind up in a very serious problem. I'd been telling people in the past, well, you know, I, I'd heard that the Jehovah's Witnesses were using the King James Version of the Bible, which itself is nothing but the work of some literate, literary individuals mm-hmm. in England, but there's no, no authority behind it from the church that Christ established. I mean, they call it the King James Version of the Bible. Who's King James to tell us whether this is an accurate translation of the Word of God? You know, right. but King James has no authority and no expertise in the matter, right? So, and nor do any of those who are engaged in the work, you know? All they're doing is bringing to it uh, human ingenuity and a lot of predispositions. Uh, they were meant to produce a Protestant version and a Protestant uh, uh, text of the Bible. And that's exactly what they did, to reflect Protestant belief. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, that's tendentious idea that was sewn into the very you know, work of the Protestant King James Version of the Bible means that it's, always, it's already biased, it's already prejudiced, and it's already, um, it's, it's not the Word of God. It is, it is the interpretation of man of the Word of God is all it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that can be very erroneous. There's nothing infallible about that. And so, just as with the King James Version, uh, you're already starting with a problem, okay, uh, with, with erroneous principles. <coughs> but now I understand that the, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have even departed from that and gotten this other translation. I, I guess it dates back to 1961 is the latest, last edition of this thing. And... Um, so they're just they're just going from that, trying to make the case uh, against the divinity of our Lord, or basically even saying that there's more than one God. I mean, if they're making a case against the divinity of our Lord, they're Arian heretics, uh, at the least. And if they're making a case that Jesus Christ, that that the Son of God is a separate God from the Father, then they're pagans. They believe in a multiplicity of gods. Mm-hmm. So take your pick between paganism and Arianism. Either way, <clears throat> you've got serious error and blasphemy behind them. So uh, it's it's very sad that they have to uh, they have to contrive their own personal translation of scripture to to find uh, support uh, you know for their errors, mm-hmm. but inevitably yeah that's what's going to happen. So I understand if you do engage them and say well let's look in your scripture there and, and uh, see what it says. <clears throat> A Catholic who knows anything about the scriptures himself and there there aren't many of them will find that what he finds in the pages of a Jehovah's Witness scripture, uh, copy of the Bible, is not 
what he thought he would find. It's not what he would find in the Dura Reims, for example, version of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, it might really throw him, throw him for a, uh, throw a curve at him and make him wonder what's going on. <clears throat> but if you're going to ask, how do you refute what they're saying? Well, you certainly can't use their <clears throat> twisted scriptures, uh, their adulterated scriptures, uh, to refute what they're saying, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, because it's already stacked. It's like a stacked deck, okay? Uh, so uh, <clears throat> you can show them the true scriptures and show them this is what the Bible really is. And what you've got there is uh, simply a, uh, you know, the, the work of human beings trying to support what you're, what you're thinking, what they're telling you to believe. Mm -hmm. And it's not honest. <clears throat> and if they say, well, I'm not so sure, how do I know what your translation is any better than my translation, then I don't... You know, just because these two things agree. Now, if they say they don't agree, but maybe they're both okay. Well, it's a, but they contradict each other. If they say, well, they could both come from the same God, then you know you got a problem. Don't even bother talking to these people, okay? I mean, you're getting nowhere. <clears throat> they do not believe in God, even, okay? But <clears throat> if they say, well, my scripture is better than your scripture, okay? You could even reach for the Greek New Testament, okay? The Greek New Testament... Um, it's a very scholarly work, okay? Uh, I won't go to the, the origins of it and the, the credentials of it. But uh, you could go into the Greek New Testament and you could sit down, if you know enough, know enough Greek, and you could actually look at that with them and show that it really corresponds to your Catholic Bible and does not correspond to their, to their New World translation of sacred scripture. But how many people can do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, they bring up these, these errors about uh, 144,000 being saved as sons of God and the rest being left here on earth to enjoy a little earthly paradise, <clears throat> some Garden of Eden, you know, recreated for them. That is complete nonsense. <clears throat> They're reaching for ideas that God making all things new, you know, a new heaven and a new earth. They're taking that and they're... They're embroidering, embroidering that with all kinds of fantastical ideas that are not really in the scriptures. What they're doing is they're taking out segments, just like Protestants do, take out a verse here, absolutize it, everything's about that, and they ignore everything else mm -hmm. that destroys their, or that contradicts their interpretation of that one verse. This is a typical Protestant way of, of argument. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, <clears throat> I would say, when, if it comes down to a Catholic who's going to engage them in uh, discussions of matters of faith, that uh, I hope that Catholic is very well grounded in his faith and very well grounded in the sacred scriptures. So he'll knows, know when he's being uh, played right, um, by some false translation uh, of the Bible. And uh, that he can actually defend his own faith to himself, and not be thrown, uh, uh, you know, into uh, doubts and questions. You know? mm -hmm. um, so he better be sure that he's on good, you know, solid ground himself. <clears throat> but also, he needs to do some study ahead of time of what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. You know, this whole, uh, uh, I think Judge Rutherford. That's part of the history of all this and the prediction of the end of the world that it didn't come and and then trying to explain how it really did come, but it wasn't what we expected, and so on and so forth. They really need to arm themselves with a real understanding of the, the provenance of this sect, mm -hmm. um, so that they will not be uh, taken in. I'll, I'll just give you one example to tell you what okay. I'm afraid of, okay? Just a few weeks ago, actually a couple weeks ago, 
I, I was at one of our missions, okay, far away, and this dear lady was telling me about how, how her mother fell away from the Catholic faith when she, this lady, was only two years old, maybe even younger. So the lady had been baptized Catholic, Catholic mom, and the mother fell away from the faith, and she said, this is what happened. And the mother was a Catholic, and she was very staunch, and her friends, Protestants, were importuning her to come and to attend their Bible study. They were pressing her very hard to come and attend their Bible study. Okay, So for friendship's sake, she thought she would go and attend their Bible study, and that she would go well-armed with the Catholic Bible, and she felt that she could deal with you know this and maybe even do them some good. Okay, And uh, they brought up a question to her. And the question was this. Uh, when when she, our Lord Jesus Christ says in the gospel, call no man on earth your father, right? Because you have one father who is in heaven, right? So they actually had set her up for this. They, they got her in there and they attacked her with this verse, okay? And you Catholics, you call priests father, don't you? So you're violating sacred scripture. You've been taught to violate sacred scripture. You, you've been required to violate it, even from, from childhood, by calling, being instructed to call priests father. And you Catholics are not Christians, and so on and so forth. Okay? So, anyway, the lady didn't know what to say. However, however, I mean, how many Catholics would know what to say to that? Mm -hmm. Right? Very few, probably, would know where to begin. Mm -hmm. But she did the reasonable thing. She said... <coughs> that she was going to go and ask her parish priest. Mm -hmm. Now, they'd known the parish priest. They were kind of close. Uh, the family was close. <clears throat> a priest used to visit the house fairly, you know, often, and uh, even go out of the way, pay him a visit, uh, uh, very friendly terms with the whole family. And, and uh, <clears throat> so this lady went to her parish priest, expecting that he would be able to ask the question. And his answer to the question was he did not know. He did not know what to say about that. Wow. And this poor lady was so was so disillusioned. Mm -hmm. and not only did he say he didn't know, he didn't even offer to find out. <laughs> he just kind of shrugged and said, I, I, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to say about that. You know, he wow. just kind of left it there, thud, you know, and she was so she left thinking, I don't know. The priest doesn't know. And that's the end, as far as we're both concerned. He just says he doesn't know, and that's the way it is. It reminded me, in a sense, of Francis, who was asked by one of his own priests, how do we solve the problem of young people today not making a lifelong commitment and getting married? And Francis said, I don't know. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's very disillusioning. you know. Mm -hmm. And it was disillusioning to her. And it, I won't say uh, that this the daughter of this woman, who, as I say, was an infant at the time, mm -hmm a toddler at the time this happened. I won't say that that was sort of the, the end, but it was the beginning of the end. Okay. Because things began to unravel from there, and, and she eventually just left the church. You know? mm. um, I eventually, it wasn't a matter of years, it was a matter of maybe weeks even. Wow. So, so this is the problem uh, that you're dealing with. So I would be very cautious if I were going to engage these people in... Uh, in uh, questions of, uh, even historical questions of the church, theological questions, matters of faith, that you really know what you're talking about, okay? Mm -hmm. and, uh, if, and to our own people, I would say, if you, uh, if you go to one priest, um, and the priest says, 
he doesn't know the answer, then uh, at least expect of him, he'll say, but I'll find out for you. Mm-hmm. At least he has to have an obligation. If he just says, I don't know, basically, that's, I don't know, go f- I have no answer for you. Watch this program. Yeah, then you know, well, okay. <laughs> Send the question in here. We would tackle it if we can. Uh, we'll do our best. And um, But at least, you know, if the priest doesn't make an offer to, yeah. to, to do, do, do diligence yeah. there, then I'd stay away from it entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, at least go to a priest who'll tell you, look, I may not know, but I'll find out for you. Sure. Um, ideally, though, even if you do find a priest who says, I don't know, and I don't, Fine, I don't care. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to find out either. Well, keep looking. Mm-hmm. Keep looking because the answer is there. Sure. Um, and uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll find the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of our own listeners might be wondering, well, what about that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Call no man on earth your father, right? Right? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Uh, I would say that it's not... Uh, it, it's just it's ridiculous to interpret it that way because uh, obviously it's... A natural thing for for children to call their parents father. Uh, he didn't mean it in that sense. The sense that he meant father in was your your life giving father, your your father in heaven. He meant he meant make no man on earth your your god. Basically, don't don't worship any man on earth. But to to uh, infer that he meant you can't call anyone father that that's ridiculous. It's a it's a, a natural thing for parents to call their their natural father their father. Um, Okay, I mean, I get your point perfectly well, and I think you're perfectly reasonable in saying that. But could you actually prove to someone that's not, that that is not what our Lord meant? That you can't say, uh, Father, you can't call your earthly father, who, you know, your blood, <laughs> mm-hmm. flesh and blood father, uh, by the title Father. Can, did, you, can you actually prove that did, from Scripture? Didn't Jesus himself actually ha- have quotes referencing Father? Mm-hmm. And them, so if you well, sure. I mean, uh, you know, Almighty God gives the Ten Commandments and says, "Honor thy father and thy mother." Right? And God does not contradict Himself. Time and time again, I mean, in sacred scripture, <clears throat> we see, you know, uh, the the term "father" being used, mm-hmm. and it's the Word of God, and or used of earthly fathers, and our Lord Himself, as you say, Tom. <clears throat> I mean, our Lord Himself, even in the Gospel today <clears throat> or yesterday, <laughs> it's kind of a blur right now. He talks about the Pharisees uh, following their traditions against God's word. That you know, God wants people to ex- take responsibility for their elderly parents and provide for them. But the the Jews at that time, the leaders had this uh, principle that you could say, "All that I have, I'm donating to the temple." And my father and mother, well, it's too bad they get they get nothing from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, but our Lord refers to their father and their mother. He does use the, the expression there. So, I mean, we understand very well what Christ means. If you look at the whole of sacred scripture and the whole of tradition, you put them together, you understand exactly what St. Paul says. <clears throat> because St. Paul says in Ephesians that all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named after the fatherhood of God. <clears throat> so those who, uh, who raise that argument are either very ignorant or very, very dishonest. <clears throat> And uh, but they have the Protestant approach to this whole question, exactly. you know. And this is the kind of problem that goes on. Now, why this woman wouldn't get this answer from her parish priest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But she needed it, and she didn't get okay. it. And the consequences were very bad because now this dear lady is trying to return to the, the church, mm-hmm. <clears throat> having uh, been raised outside the church, 
from her Catholic baptism practically onward. She was a stranger to the Catholic Church. Father, I'd like to real, real quickly read something from, from their website, jw.org, as, as, uh, as far as their beliefs concerning the Bible. They say that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses built their system of belief and practice from the raw material of the Bible without predetermining what was to be found there. <laughs> so I thought that was, um, that was pretty, pretty, pretty revealing. You know, that, that is so... Mm-hmm. I, I, well, what can you say about that? It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You, you use the word ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the raw materials of the Bible, okay? And what is that, number one? And as though they had no predetermined idea of what on earth it meant. Mm-hmm. And um, they were being perfectly objective. I'm sorry. But this is the first delusion. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they say that the, the people who are most in danger of falling under the influence of the devil are those who don't believe in him to begin with, yeah. you know. And those who don't acknowledge their own uh, bias and prejudice and fall in human nature and just say, oh, well, I think I'll just look at the Bible uh, from <clears throat> go from scratch and I'll just, you know, have this infallible understanding of what it means. Mm-hmm. They are the most prone to fall into error. Mm-hmm. Father, that, that, that notion of, uh, of private interpretation... Um, how, how preposterous is that? Because they, they say that the, the Spirit will, will guide you and not lead you into error. But how can they claim that when uh, it's been said of, of Protestantism that, that, there's, that there's as many creeds as there is heads? And you see this is true, but there's so many contradictory um, creeds. So how, how can, how can that, that possibly be true? How can truth contradict itself? How can God, the Spirit, contradict himself? Either they've lost the very notion of God as the supreme truth, and they say, yes, there are contradictions, you know, in Christian interpretations, but they're all true. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they become modernists. You know? mm-hmm. Everybody has his own experience of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Everybody has his own experience of, of uh, Scripture, his own experience of God. And so God teaches each person different things. Mm-hmm. So well, that's, that's like the supreme blasphemy. Mm-hmm. You know? But then, Father, what gives them the authority to tell other people that their interpretations are wrong. For example, they'll tell us Catholics that, that we're wrong, our interpretation of sacred scripture is wrong, and because of that, we, uh, we're going to be punished for that. We're not going to have a share in, in heaven and the eternal kingdom. We're not going to have well, a share. Well, you see, the, the, the right and the necessity of interpreting the Bible for yourself does not extend to Catholics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Catholics are forbidden to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we believe in authority in the church. Mm-hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Protestants have no authority in the church to guide them as to what is true or what is false, their understanding of Scripture. Okay? Mm-hmm. Luther enunciated this principle and then attacks the Anabaptists, you know, because they're not teaching what he wants. Right. You know, you have the Peasants' Wars, and uh, the, the Protestants are the first ones to attack people who tried to follow an interpretation that Luther, Dr. Luther didn't agree with. Exactly. And this is the way it, it is going out ever since. Until finally, the only way they can have any peace is saying, look, <clears throat> let's reduce everything to 39 articles that we can all agree on, and we all agree to disagree about everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of faith is that? Mm-hmm. You know, What happened to the God who can either deceive or be deceived? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. But again, you, you have a, a false principle, and it always is going to lead to false conclusions. Sure. The... Um, the fact is, as you and I know, Tom, uh, the, the, all, all the books of the New Testament 
uh, were written after Christ established the church. The right. church herself existed before. She was working, she was teaching, she was saving souls long before the first word of even the first gospel was written down. Mm -hmm. And very long before the, the last word of the last gospel was written down. <clears throat> and the church had the preaching of the apostles all that time. I mean, this is sacred tradition, right? And actually, the, the Gospels were the writing down of the preaching of the Apostles, uh, of the Gospels. The, the Apostles preached, they were recorded, and they are our Gospels. Mm -hmm. uh, so sacred tradition came first, the Church came first, the life of the Church came first. And only subsequently, in the course of time, were the Gospels written, the Epistles written, right? And the Acts of the Apostles obviously had to be written after our Lord ascended into heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where it begins. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, all of that is the history of the church and the, the belief of the church as it was being lived, as it was being preached, as it was being practiced. That's sacred tradition. Mm -hmm. So uh, if, they, if they want to scrap all of that and say, no, you, can't, you cannot follow that, you must not follow that, you just have to do what Jehovah's Witnesses do. Without any bias at all, just, just go back to the raw materials and look at it and see what it tells you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, that's a formula for disaster, and that's what Protestantism is. Right. It, is a, it, it is a disaster. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, somebody said, and it's true, that they, they didn't like having one pope. This is a real pope mm -hmm. who really taught the Catholic faith. They didn't want that because he contradicted doc, Dr. Luther. So what Dr. Luther did was essentially make everybody his own pope. But even beyond that, even more than his own pope, because we believe in the papacy, we believe that pope is infallible only under certain narrowly defined circumstances. But they believe that the individual, every individual, uh, has a, a pipeline to the Holy Ghost that he just opens the Bible and starts reading, and he's being inspired mm -hmm. as to what it really means. So uh, they don't. They go far beyond, you know, what we believe of the papacy, and they apply it to everybody. Mm -hmm. It's um, no. It's a formula for disaster. Right, Father. You you mentioned that about the Holy Ghost, and we have a specific question here from everybody except Catholics. Everybody except Catholics doesn't apply to us. We uh, we have a specific question here, though, from one viewer who said that a uh, Jehovah's Witness told them that the Holy Ghost would not inspire them and equip them with so much patience when doors are being slammed in their face if they were not doing God's true work. It seems obvious to me that they are assuming a lot about what and to whom the Holy Ghost sends graces, but how, does, how do we explain that to one of them? Well, th as you say, they're assuming that's the work of the Holy Ghost. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, who is it who tempts people to anger? Well, Satan. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's the work of the devil involved here too, right? Mm -hmm. But don't you think Satan inspires people to persevere? Perseverance is a virtue, right? Yeah. But don't you think Satan inspires people to perseverance uh, in preaching, preaching error? Sure. You know? sure, of course. And Satan uh, wants to work just the opposite way when it comes to a matter of teaching error and doing damage, right? So, um, you know, they say the devil has no virtues, but somebody said, well, actually, he does. He's a very hard worker. That's, <laughs> that's what's true. Saying. You know, it's Pennsylvania Dutch wisdom there. <laughs> but uh, the fact is that the devil <clears throat> wants there to be what appears to be virtue when somebody is actually plying error mm. and someone is plying something deadly. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I mean, look, <clears throat> there are people who actually admire Catholics who admire the zeal of Islamic terrorists. Sure. 
And I say, look at those people. Mm -hmm. uh, they are risking their lives daily to because of what they believe. Mm -hmm. They are firmly convicted and convinced of the truth of what they believe. They're willing to endure so many privations and risks and so on. And isn't that admirable? And the answer is, oh, that's not virtue. Mm -hmm. They may say, you know, I am filled with this <clears throat> fortitude <clears throat> or the reasonable effects thereof because <clears throat> I am so willing to fight and die and kill and so on for Allah. <clears throat> but that's not virtue. I mean, this is, this is a virtue from hell. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the, the, the zeal for evil. The zeal of hatred is not a virtue. It may appear like that to some people, but the fact is, it is a it is extreme vice. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we have to you know, you can't convince a Jehovah's Witness person or a Mormon missionary or anyone else, perhaps that, gee, I, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by the Holy Ghost. They say or Holy Spirit or whatever term they, they use. Because look what I'm willing, look what I'm able to do, look what I'm willing to do, you know, mm -hmm. and endure so much. But remember, I would just say to them, <clears throat> look at all Saint Paul endured, you know, you you have endured nothing in comparison to Saint Paul. <clears throat> and did he ever boast and say, hey, I'm so good at this, and I persevered so much, you know, it's got to be the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> when he brings it up, <clears throat> when he does bring it up, he apologizes. Yeah. Well, he apologizes. He talks about all the things that he endured here, right? He even goes so far as they are Hebrews, so am I. Either Israelites, some of their sons of Abraham, so am I. They are ministers of Christ. I am more, he says. But he's talking about how foolish this is, you know, mm -hmm. in saying this. It's embarrassing for him. And the only reason he's been bringing up these credentials is because of the, the, um, the Judaizers in the uh, church there who are trying to convince everybody that they have to be Jewish before they can become Christians, right? We know that. Mm -hmm. the, the historically, it's, this is the, what the Judaizers was doing. They were, they, were, they were standing in the way of Gentile conversions, saying, no, the Gentiles have to become Jews before they're allowed to become Christians, as we become practicing Jews, and before they're allowed to become Christians. So uh, St. Paul was saying, don't listen to them. Listen to me, please, you know, give me a hearing. And he's trying to convince them that they should, that he deserves a hearing. That's the only reason he talks about all these things he endured. He didn't talk about these things in order to puff himself up, make them admire him, think he was wonderful. <clears throat> like a parent pleading with the children, please listen to me. I'm the one who loves you. Look what I do for you. <clears throat> Not because I want you to, you know, get down on your hands and knees and thank me. Mm -hmm. and worship me or anything of the kind, but just at least give me the benefit of a hearing because I'm motivated by a love for you, not because was my pride. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea of them saying, you know, obviously I'm, I'm very patient, so it must be the work of the Holy Ghost, I would say they should think of the example of St. Paul, who, uh, <clears throat> you know, talks about the things that he's endured way beyond a little bit of patience, of a Jehovah's Witness, you know, visitor or Mormon minister, preacher or whoever, and Mormon um, missionary. And I would say that St. Paul did not boast of these things, okay? The only thing he boasted of was his weakness. That's what he said. And he said that even that was not enough for him. He said that God sent an angel of Satan to buffet him. 
and it was very humiliating for him, and a great triumph for him, and that even, even St. Paul was overmatched by this, he said, and he begged God to take it away, and God said, no, because strength is made perfect in weakness. <clears throat> so this is the testimony of St. Paul. And I would say, if a Jehovah's Witness brings that question up again, they should say, well, that, that proves it right there, that this is not the work of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. uh, because if that really were the work of the Holy Ghost, you would see this in a very different light. Right. And, and Father, how, how silly is that argument anyway? Because you, you could apply that to anyone or anything. You could apply that to Catholics. I mean, look at, look at the, the, the scorn that, that traditional Catholics experience on a daily basis and sure. in the world around them today. I mean, the, the whole world, literally the whole, the whole world is against us. And, and if someone wants to actually have traditional Catholic morals, in today's society, it's it's um, they're assaulted. It's, it's a you know, that's assault. a very good argument. I mean, there are people in the world, and they were not Catholics, Christians, but mm -hmm. they they are. They have a they have a grace of, let's say, but they have a natural virtue of patience. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they've cultivated the virtue of patience. I mean, it's one of those uh, parts of the cardinal virtues: mm -hmm. prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, uh, that you can acquire mm -hmm. by effort. Mm -hmm. And when you acquire these virtues, God forbid that you should then start thinking of yourself as somehow superhuman <laughs> uh, or doing something extraordinary, extraordinary virtuous. You know? yeah. um, can, a, can an atheist tell the truth? Yes, he can very, tell the truth. He can be so committed to telling the truth, he would tell the truth even if a light depends on it mm -hmm. or is threatened by it. Mm -hmm. But you'd never say, well, that's the work of the Holy Ghost, moving him to tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, or the truth that he thinks is the truth. Well, you get the point, and sure. I think you made the point very well. Sure. That that's not a proof of anything. Sure. Then, then Father, let, let's move on to another point. I think um, that that many that there could be a danger here posed by Jehovah's Witnesses to many traditional Catholics because of the the uh, the mannerisms of many Jehovah's Witnesses. They're often very friendly, polite, as nice as can be. Many of them. They're they're um, they're they're typically very very nicely dressed. Um, very modest looking. Uh, they just come off as very friendly and almost uh, like like another like a traditional Catholic. They they behave themselves very well a lot of times, and that can be very very attractive to a lot of traditional Catholics. It so can. it seems that there's a real real danger there. How, how should it's very be? attractive to Catholics who don't have a very good grasp on their faith. Okay, the Catholics who don't know that there's a natural and supernatural virtue. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may say, "Gee, my Catholic friends are really kind of um, you know they're, they're problematic." You know, they're they're um, uh, weak, they're um, loud, they're inconsiderate, they're backbiters, they're, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And here we have these Jehovah's Witnesses, they're such nice guys, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and such attractive personalities. They might, they might make a judgment on the basis purely of natural considerations at all. You know? mm -hmm. And it would be very tragic to choose a, a, yeah. your religious affiliation because of purely natural considerations. Mm -hmm. Whether somebody's personality is attracted to you or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. The fact is, I mean, St. Saint Augustine, back in about the year 400, wrote the first catechetical instruction. And he warned those converts of what the kind of people they're going to find in the church. And many of them are not going to be very nice people. He warned them that some of them are going to be very bad people. But don't, don't be discouraged or deceived by that, you know. Mm -hmm. Christ came to call sinners, and that's the first requirement, you know. When you, when you drive out your driveway on Sunday morning and you're driving to church, a Catholic, Catholic church, a really Catholic church, um, <clears throat> from the minute you put your key in the ignition, 
you're making a, a statement. I'm a sinner and I'm going because I, I need a savior. I need a redeemer. Exactly. And Christ is my redeemer. The first requirement to get into the Catholic Church is to be a sinner <laughs> and be baptized because of original sin. <laughs> And if one's baptized later in life because of one's own personal sins, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's the very beginning. Yeah. The ones who could not come to Christ and would not and eventually plotted his death were the ones who would not accept the fact that they were sinners. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have to understand that, yes, I mean, that the people we associate with in our faith, they are sinners. And that's the first requirement you know, mm -hmm. to, to acknowledge the need for a need for a savior. Right. But the, um, the question of them being attractive, you know, you know, you have to also remember what sacred scripture does say, that the devil himself can disguise himself as an angel of light. Right. And he disguises himself as an angel of light to deceive people. And um, we also have, in the history of the church, many apparitions, supposedly apparitions, that uh, the church warns us about. You know, immediately the church is suspicious when she hears word of some preternatural event going on because she understands who we're dealing with and dealing with Satan. And he's very deceptive. And uh, he will disguise himself as an angel of light. And many times in the history of the church, there are those people who claim to have visitations from on high, right? And the church has unmasked this as being something satanic, truly diabolical powers, mm -hmm. the devil appearing as a, quote, an angel of light to deceive people. Mm -hmm. The church is our safeguard. That, that's why Christ gave the church the authority, his authority, to deal with these things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we just have to tell people, don't be, um, don't be deceived by a, an attractive personality. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you're the type of person to be deceived by that, they're a salesman who could sell you anything <laughs> mm -hmm. because that's what salesmen want to do. They want to, they don't want their personalities to be an obstacle. They want their personalities to draw you in. Mm -hmm. And some of the greatest spokespersons in history, some of the greatest charlatans in history have had wonderful personalities that magnetic personalities mm -hmm. that electrified people and drew them to them. And, uh, you know, many of them, well, why not in jail <laughs> as a snake oil salesman? They're very gracious, very unctuous, and very deceitful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I th you're right, Tom. We have people who are rather gullible can be drawn in by that. So they have to be careful and uh, realize when they're in over their head. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And, and uh, recognize when it's time for them to back out away. Sure. And Father, in, in a similar vein, I think uh, that that also applies to, to the Mormon religion. Uh, Mormons are, are, from my understanding, they all dress very extremely modestly. Yeah. And many traditional Catholics are, are very fascinated, very very attracted to that. And I've heard that complaint uh, multiple times that, that Mormons dress substantially more modestly, substantially better mm -hmm. than many traditional Catholics. And because of that, many, many traditional Catholics are attracted to that. But that seems to be, uh, to, to tie in nicely with, with uh, this concept that we've talked about on the show several times about, um, I believe you summed up very well when you said that the, the devil essentially wouldn't mind being the greatest political conservative in the world if it meant he could get your soul to hell. Mm. I think the same thing applies here, that the devil wouldn't mind being the most modestly dressed person on earth if that meant he could get your soul to hell. So I think I think that applies here. But I, Tom, one of the most attractive things about a Mormon missionary or a Jehovah's Witness uh -huh. uh, visitor is their apparent sincerity. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And you know, I I believe that many of them are sincere. Right. You know, I believe they are, and I think that it kind of draws us to them. They think this person is so sincere, mm-hmm. and they're being honest in, in what they right. they say. They believe they really do believe this, and we can be impressed by the fervor and the ardor with which they you know speak their mind and express their faith. We we might even feel that we don't have that same fervor toward our faith sure. that they have toward theirs. Yep. And again, that's very dangerous for us. What that should do is not make us admire their error, but make us ashamed so that we begin to pray and have a greater devotion to our faith, which is the truth. Exactly, exactly. And Father, Father, real quickly, you've already touched on a lot of this, but I just wanted to make sure that, that I read through this email because we received one, one great email from, from a viewer who wrote in and said, uh, thank you for doing the What Catholics Believe programs. Uh, you might want to read a little about the Jehovah's Witnesses and answer that question again. Um, mm-hmm. we, we had previously discussed Jehovah's Witnesses very briefly on one of the programs. Yeah. But this viewer says the worst tactic you can use is to have them look something up in their own Bible. They don't use the King James, although they lead you to believe that they do. They have retranslated it so that the verses actually say different things than they are supposed to. If you look up just about anything in the Bible, you end up losing the argument because it doesn't say what it should. They're basically Arians, with the core of their belief being based on John 1.1, saying the word was a God instead of the word was God, claiming the indefinite article in the Greek rather than the definite. So the 144,000 will become sons of God, like Jesus, each with their own world, the rest being able to have a chance at eternal life, but without being a son of God. I only know this because I spent about 20 hours debating with a Jehovah's Witness. Their beliefs are actually fairly well thought out and defended if you use your own Bible, their own Bible, to argue religion. I usually chase them away from my door by offering the history of where the Bible came from and showing them my Dewey Reigns as being an original translation. If I get that far, showing them that John 1.1 actually says that Jesus is God, that's, that's the furthest I've gotten. They run away quickly as I tempt them against their faith. Their Bible is called the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. The latest edition is from 1961, I believe. God bless you. <laughs> well, well said, well said. Exactly. And uh, that kind of situates their error. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they actually um, base that idea about our Lord being a God, okay, mm-hmm. from their interpretation of the Greek of St. John's Gospel, right. the proemium, the, the very first verse of the first chapter, um, about uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, mm-hmm. And in Greek, uh, you have hoteos. Hoteos means <clears throat> God. <clears throat> they would translate hoteos as the God, because they translate ho as the, the uh, definite article. <clears throat> the God, right? <clears throat> but in Greek, it's not used the same way it is in English. They're making a huge mistake, okay? <clears throat> they might say teos without, without the definite article. That doesn't mean there's automatically understood an indefinite article. It doesn't mean that there's an indefinite article in Greek. But they want to translate it as uh, a god. And one is the god, hoteos, and the other is just a god, teos, without, without the article. <clears throat> they're really off base in that. They, 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 but I mean, some somebody can make an argument about that out of ignorance, and it appeals to those who are ignorant. They say, "Well, look, there's a difference here. Hoteos and just teos." Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. But what they're doing is they're relating it to English, and this is the, the problem so many people have here in our own country, in, in the English-speaking world. 
they, you know, they, they take something like the Gospels that are written in Greek, they translate it into English, and then it doesn't occur to them that what they've got in English doesn't exactly represent what it, what it did in the original Greek, you know. Mm -hmm. So if they have a problem, they really have to go back and they have to study that. Mm -hmm. and find out, well, what does this actually mean in the original Greek? I mean, that's where Protestants wind up thinking our Lord insulted the Blessed Mother right. uh, in, uh, in Cana and from the cross on Calvary by calling her woman. It was not an insult. He did refer to even a pagan woman as woman, but he was praising her faith. Mm -hmm. And so even in giving her the Blessed Mother someone to fill in, as it were, for our Lord and take care of her from the cross, they're saying our Lord was insulting her by referring to her as woman. They have no clue. They have no idea. They should go back and they should understand the meaning of the Greek, gune, and uh, realize that that is not an insult at all. Mm -hmm. they want it. They're biased to misinterpret it that way, and that's a problem, mm -hmm. you know, that they have an interest in, in understanding it in this false way. So it is with the Jehovah's Witnesses, too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so uh, I would just ask, uh, since this is where we started the program, <clears throat> what would I suggest to our listeners who are accosted by Jehovah's Witnesses and maybe willing to try to make a point with them? <clears throat> I would say, well, that's fine. Uh, be sure of your faith and arm yourself, okay? Uh, read up on Jehovah's Witnessism so you know what they teach. Go learn what the Catholic faith is on these points. And then if you, in engaging with them, come across questions you have, write, write us an email, okay? And we will uh, try to deal with it here as, as best we can, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess that's one piece of counsel I would give them. Seek counsel <laughs> in dealing with, with these people. Yeah, sounds very wise. But fine. And hey, by the way, biggest, the most important single thing is pray for them. Exactly. Pray for them mm -hmm. incessantly. Yeah. Because, I mean, you could make the greatest case for the Catholic faith you want. But if the people who are listening do not have the internal graces from God, it's like, you know, the sower sowing the seed and there's no moisture. And nothing is going to germinate there. The, the interior grace from God is the key to all good things. It is pride that makes us think we don't need that. We can just do apologetics and just the force of our arguments, yeah. you know, will overwhelm them. Yeah. Boy, that is a big mistake. <clears throat> okay. We have to, for every word we say to them, <clears throat> in terms of an argument, we should be saying a hundred words to God in prayer for these souls. Mm-hmm. That's a great stopping point, Father. Um, I think everything you just said, though, that that, that that illustrates perfectly why there has to be the Holy Roman Catholic Church to interpret Scripture for us. Um, I, I don't have the exact uh, uh, quote in front of me, but I believe it was St. Peter who said, the, the, the unlearned rest with these things to their own destruction. And, and, and who does that apply to? But Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, actually, it applies also to Francis. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Plus. you know, Tom, since you brought that up, I want to make it very clear. When I'm talking about the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. okay, I, I'm, I, we have to be very wary, uh, wary that people out there will see the show and think we're talking about the Vatican right now and point. Francis right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, And somebody just gave me something of interest here. It actually applies to what we're talking about, <laughs> the errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Curiously enough, here there's an article in Crux, C-R-U-X, not C-R-O-O-K-S. <laughs> Crux means cross in, in Latin, of course. 
an article by Austin Ivere, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, I-V-E-R-E-I-G-H, right? March 25th, 2017. Austin is a contributing editor for Crooks Magazine. And she has an article here entitled, The Woman Who Knows How to Read Pope Francis. <laughs> she talks about a recent graduate of the Argentina's Pontifical Catholic University. <clears throat> She's now a theologian. And um, she is part of this think tank of the Pontificate of Francis and so on. And uh, her name is Kuda. I don't know how to pronounce her first name either. Dr. Emilce, it looks like E-M-I-L-C-E. C-U-D-A is the last name, Kuda. And uh, if I may, just this would not be a bad, bad way to part here. Sure. In the course of this article by this author, this is said here. The Catholic theological ethics in the world church, this is an actual body, C-T-E-W-C, the Catholic Theological Ethics in the World Church, was created in 2006 as a space for, talk about being out in space, a space for Catholic moral theologians and ethicists from across the world and of different tendencies to connect, united by loyalty to the magisterium, but rooted in local churches. Okay, talk about Anyway, the network whose founder and main driver is the Boston College ethicist James Keenan, S.J., nowadays includes more than 1,500 theologians who meet together every few years in a different city. The next meeting will be next year in Sarajevo, and in the meantime, exchange papers and ideas through its website. The network's regional presidents, Kuda, heads the Latin American and Caribbean. This is the lady theologian, right? Met the Pope to explain their work and receive his guidance. This is a quote. The audiences with the Pope seem to be measured by the time you spent with him. Considering he gave us 50 minutes and the Argentine president only 15, I think it was a success. She laughs. That's Kuda. <clears throat> and she says Francis urged them to do theological ethics with a hermeneutic of unity and difference, quote-unquote, hermeneutic of unity and difference, all of this diversity stuff, right? An idea that the network has already embraced before his election. It's a theme that recurs in the Pope's intellectual passions. Intellectual passions, I mean, you can get so much... Anyway, this is nonsense. <clears throat> Creating processes in which the Holy Spirit forges new synthesis out of disparities and disagreements. I mean, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. I mean, you're going back to Hegel, you're going Hegel. back to Fichte, uh, you're going back to uh, <clears throat> Marx. I mean, you know, the whole thing. This, this process, uh, process of history and process theology. Dialectic. The dialectic, exactly right. In the meeting, now this is what I was getting to, okay. In the meeting, the Pope jokingly likened this to the way the Holy Trinity functions. Quote, inside the Holy Trinity, they're all arguing behind closed doors, end quote. Cuda says Francis told them, quote, but on the outside, they give the picture of unity. <clears throat> now think about that. Francis, Francis, uh, you know, the man is absolutely 
he, he always invents new lows. He always outdoes himself. He's always looking for a, a personal, like, world record of blasphemy. <laughs> Inside the Holy Trinity, they're all arguing behind closed doors, but on the outside, they give the picture of unity. Now, that is so blasphemous. You, you, you don't even know where to begin with these people, you know? And if they don't see the blasphemy, then they don't have it, they, then they've lost the faith entirely. Right. So, you know, what, what, when he's talking about an attorney, the arguing, the divisions, so on and so forth, these errors all start from the same place, you know? The Jehovah's Witnessism and all. And um, it, it, is, it is really sad that people still would think that when we're talking about the church and the authority of the church and, and the Christ's authority of the church, people are still going to say, that's Francis now. That's, those are his bishops, right? And I want to make it very clear, that is not what we are talking about, okay? Because that is as bad or worse than anything the Mormons have said and anything the Jehovah's Witnesses have said, okay? If he actually doesn't believe what he's saying, they say he's joking about it, then he knows what he's saying is blasphemy. If he doesn't believe, if he even believes, even understands what blasphemy is, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sorry, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's in the same boat with the rest of the heretics sure. you know, for saying something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Catholics do not joke like that. They never did. Okay. Right. So anyway, Tom, uh, if you have a problem, you're trying to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses. You're trying to answer them. Do not write to the Vatican and ask for the answer, okay? At least come and uh, write to Tom or write to me, but do not write to Francis for an answer about the faith. Hasn't, hasn't Francis himself said that, that Catholics uh, they commit a sin against faith if they try and evangelize, they try and convince oh, others of their... That's right, that's uh, right. Uh, of their... <laughs> they commit a sin against faith if they try to convince others of, of the truth of Catholicism. Yeah, again... You know, we're not dealing even with someone who's rational. We're not dealing with a rational being here. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but there's a name for all that, right? This concept of faith coming from the mind that is so completely perverted, that is irrational, is called, well, that's a modernist. That's what a modernist is. And I'd say Francis is the quintessential apotheosis of modernism. Right. Okay, um, if you were to check his DNA, right, it would be, you know, but it would be modernism, pure, pure, undiluted modernism. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as Francis said, as as Saint Pius X said a hundred some years ago, they are the most vicious enemies, the worst enemies of the church, mm -hmm. and they're in the Vatican right now. Mm -hmm. And the, the scary thing is, Father, that it's not just simply a matter of defeating them. It's a matter matter of first defeating them and then converting them. So, like you said, uh, every word every word that we say to them, as far as apologetics, we should be saying a hundred words to God in prayer. We should be saying a thousand prayers for yeah. them. And, and uh, you know, to, not to get off on another subject, <laughs> but to kind of situate the whole question, and it is this that the Society of St. Pius X proposes to unite with right now. Yeah. Inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of converting them, mm -hmm. we're going to uh, find a place at the table, and then we're going to be so charming in our conversation that they're 
they're going to come our way. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're thinking, but if they're thinking that, they're very wrong. Modernists don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, when you want, when you want to take care of those who have a highly contagious, lethal disease, you do not take them out to suffer. You do not visit them, you know, in in the hotbed of the disease. You you actually. Uh, you know, fortify yourself, and you, you get them to the hospital, you take care of them there. Mm -hmm. But you get them out of the, the seat of the pestilence. But right now, the Vatican has become the seat of the pestilence. Even as Our Lady said at La Salette, I mean, Rome would become the seat of the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with something very serious here. All of these issues that we mentioned here, they're all related. We know that. And they're all the work of, of the devil. Yeah. Uh, attacking the true faith, attacking the true church, attacking, attacking our Lord. That's mm -hmm. his ultimate objective. Mm -hmm. um, if, we, if we can find good, sincere souls who are willing to listen to the truth, and we can, we're willing to work and arm ourselves for the truth and willing to pray for them, we can do a great deal of good. <clears throat> but it would be a mistake to take the field against a well-armed adversary, armed, well-armed with error, unprepared. Mm -hmm. So I, our Catholic people really need to uh, need to be trained yep. in their faith. Yep, exactly. Well, Father, let's go ahead and stop there for tonight. I want to, to, to thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. You're very welcome. Thank you. No problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for, for sending in all these questions. If you have further questions, like Father mentioned, please do send us an email and, and we'll work on getting you a response to those. So I'd like to thank all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.